0: I'm Captain Kirk.
1: Fascinating.
0: <laughs> I'm a doctor, not a mechanic.
1: Thank you, thank you,
0: love you. Mwah. Most illogical. I sir. Well, that was different. Yep, rousy, but different. places.
1: Welcome, ladies, gentlemen, bears, denobulans, and things to episode 45 of the Muppet Trek podcast. I'm Steve.
0: And I'm Jarman, and we're here to compare, contrast, and confer about our two favorite franchises. And what are those, Steve?
1: Well, if you don't know by now, where have you been? It's the Muppets <sighs> and Star Trek. Damn right. And we have been doing reviews one-to-one of The Muppet Show and Star Trek, the original series.
0: And tonight we're covering The Muppet Show with special guest star Bob Hope and Star Trek original series episode, The Gamesters of Trixkelion. That's right. If I said that what right, name. we'll see. I don't know. But let's who is this weird guy Who's with Bob the hope? hope? Is it hope and changey stuff or what, what's going yeah. on here? Uh
1: Bob Hope, <laughs> a, a star of stage and screen, who is also a dancer and an author and an athlete. His career ran for more than 80 years. He's a nineteen time Academy Award host. Jeez. And did fifty seven USO tours from nineteen forty one to nineteen ninety one. Wow. That's a lot. Cool fact, in 1997, Congress passed a special bill that declared him an honorary veteran. Huh. But What does our audience know him from? He's an American icon, but aside from his cameos in the Muppet movie and playing himself in movies like Spies Like Us, likely not much except for a bunch of televised events that might be on rerun at night.
0: And you might have seen him like in if you watch original Looney Tunes, they had like cartoon versions of him in his face. Like he's got oh, a yeah. recognizable he's been big lampooned knowns. for years. Yeah. So you've seen him around or his icon before and something probably.
1: Well, this week on The Muppet Show, the backstage plot is all about basically how he's a real busy guy. <laughs> on stage, Kermit introduces Bob Hope, but he's interrupted by Animal who's trying. He tells to find a hobby. The opening number is Pig Calypso, which features Pig Calypso uh kermit that's all there's to say about that one uh kermit then tries to introduce bob who almost misses his cue but only comes out to tell him that he's got to go to another event Mm -hmm. following this we have some woodland creatures hiding from hunters as they sing an adjusted version of for what it's worth It's, it's a pretty nice number after this we get a muppet news flash where it's fishing season we hear a gunshot and it rains fish On stage, Kermit introduces Bob Hope, who arrives by cannon from his last event, but he needs to go to his next benefit, the Japanese pole vaulters retirement fund. But he brought them with him. So suddenly there's a bunch of Japanese, older Japanese pole vaulters on stage,
0: like edged on racist, but not quite.
1: Yeah, they really. I mean, yeah, that was quite the end. Following this, we visit the Swedish chef's kitchen. He is cooking duck with an iron until the duck escapes and drops the iron on his head. Uh, another Muppet News flash is it's opening night of opera season. We hear another gunshot, and then a lady opera singer falls from the sky. It's a little dark. <laughs> it is. Up next, we get Rolf playing some moody piece called Pathetique. Scooter tells him to wrap it up, and he gives it the classic. <laughs> After this, we get a weird compilation of old-timey songs performed by a large ensemble of Muppets. It's sweet, but it's a little bit out of place. Mm-hmm. Next, we stop by Muppet Labs, where Dr. Bunsen Honeydew introduces his new automatic trash can with each trash and his assistant beaker. Rolf has a complex and fast-paced piano number where he has to produce a third hand to play it correctly. (laughs) Kermit introduces Bob Hope for the cowboy sketch. Finally, we get to see Bob Hope do something. (laughs) He rides a talking horse who exchanges jokes between verses, most of them like fat jokes
0: yeah strangely enough
1: uh kermit thanks bob hope bob hope brings out kind of the cavalcade of random attendees that he brought with him and that is what we call the muppet show what did you think of this week's episode god
0: Uh, Well, it was uh, definitely an episode. (laughs) It it most assuredly was. Uh, Yes. Um, Things
1: happened. People were on stage, perhaps.
0: Yes. So when I was a kid, I watched um, some PBS with my parents, and there was often a show called The Red Skelton Comedy Hour. Uh Uh, It was like a rerun from a show from the 70s, early 80s, and it often had Bob Hope as a guest. And that was my main experience, seeing him and remembering, thinking, oh, he's, he's amusing. Um, but now watching this episode, I, I didn't laugh at anything he said. Um, I mean, that's also probably a tribute to some bad writing for him or maybe he wrote his own parts. I don't know. But it's like he told pun jokes that weren't even on par with the usual fun groaner Muppet pun, pun jokes I like so much.
1: That's true. Like they he, were like thinker pun jokes, but I don't want to think. I'm watching the Muppet
0: shit. But also, he's like, uh, you're like, said to Gonzo something about, uh, I think you have quite a nice crust because he was like talking about making bread yeah, puns. Yeah, yeah. But the crust pun didn't make any sense in that context. It was really weird. Yeah. Um, just so, and you also see he was almost breaking character a bunch in the scenes. Other times
1: um, he clearly was like looking off camera at like a producer or director or something. He yeah. And do it.
0: It's one of the first times I very blatantly noticed during his horse singing number that he was having to keep, turn his head away from the camera to read the cue card of his lines of his, of the song. Um, and I was just like, he's not really into this. <laughs> so it was, it was not a, not a, the best uh, guest. I,
1: I think that th- this episode likely suffered. Like the joke that Bob Hope's a busy guy was not a joke. It was a reality. Right. So money says that this is one of those episodes where they had like two days mm. or like a day and a half of Bob Hope's time. Right. <laughs> so they just had to get it in and get it done. And so he's only really in one real sketch.
0: <laughs> and otherwise he's in his trench coat and his hat waiting to go. <laughs> you know, coming in and
1: out or having <laughs> little transitions, but not like a scene or a number. Um so let's I, let's talk about the few okay moments this week. I did like, uh, for what it's worth, the animals hiding from the hunters. That's kind of like like classic. That. Ep- that's like a classic sketch.
0: It was very involved too. Like season. they could tell they did a lot of work on that because they weren't working the the host very much, so they had a lot of time oh, to make that yeah. set and all those different Muppets and everything. Uh,
1: the Muppet news flashes I thought were amusing. There's two
0: of them this time. That's right. right. And the fact
1: that it was like fish being shot and then a lady singer being shot and they amped it up. was just funny and dark and not (laughs) something we necessarily get a whole lot. Yeah. Um, But you're right. Bob was a little bit forgettable.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I really Uh,
1: Did you notice that the horse was wearing New Balance shoes?
0: I didn't know he's wearing sneakers. That was odd.
1: He's wearing New Balance shoes. I checked. They existed back then. Hmm.
0: Probably soon (laughs) around that time. (laughs) <laughs> um i did really actually like the strange out of context uh seen all the muppet cast sitting around singing songs in front of a fire it was just
1: yeah it was out of place a little bit but it was sweet
0: yeah i wish they had built like a intro to that to make it make more sense like hey we're just gonna take some time out to sing a song or something like that Yeah, and, and- we're
1: sitting somewhere with the owner of the theater scooter's uncle jp uh gross
0: yeah, who we never have only seen like once or twice before, and suddenly he's just there, happy with them singing a the song. It's like this is odd, but I'll, I'll take it. Great harmonies. It was nice songs they sang, and but yeah, it was a good but strange moment.
1: Um, But yeah, I, I kind of agree. Overall,
0: kind of middling to low. Yeah, this is definitely low middle for me because the whole time I was and I was like, oh, okay, all right. But then otherwise, there's just no real standout.
1: Wow! It didn't moments. even have like the things you want. Like at the dance, or veterinarians' hospital, or pigs in space. Yep, they were any of those
0: staples. More meh than anything else. Yeah, I can get I can get behind meh. Sorry about well, The Bob, music this
1: week <laughs> kicked it up a notch. Pink Calypso" <laughs> by Derek Scott. He was a musical associate for the Muppets and wrote other songs for them, like "Muppet Limbo."
0: I did like that song actually, and I like the fact that a. Uh- Kermit comes in at the end, and actually, he deserves the punch he got because, yeah, he
1: does. He, Even Anna was like, Oh,
0: what? He made a joke about eating pigs in front of all these pigs. So she deserved a punch him in the face that oh, time. Yeah. Uh,
1: for what it's worth, recorded by Buffalo Springfield, while often viewed as a like Vietnam War song, it was actually inspired by the curfews caused by what were referred to as the hippie
0: riots. Oh, goodness, which
1: took place on Sunset Strip in Hollywood in the 50s.
0: If you guys don't know that song, it goes "Stop down, what's, that, what's sound? that sound?" Everybody. They look, did address the lyrics a little bit
1: here, which bummed me out, but I get it. Yeah, so that makes sense. Uh, Pathetique or Sonata Number no. Eight by Beethoven. Uh, this is one of that Ralph performs, and this is one of the pieces that took Beethoven from being like a very gifted pianist to being considered a very gifted composer. Mm-hmm. Uh, long, long ago in the big medley, English composer Thomas Bailey. They got. This song got a tempo and a lyric change sometime, I think in the 30 or 40s and became uh don't sit under the apple tree with anyone else but me. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's what this song became long ago or a by George Poulton. It's a civil war song that became so popular that it was taken up by both sides. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, believe, uh, believe me. If all those endearing young charms, Ugh, what a title from <laughs> Irish poet Thomas More. Uh, this he just had a really cool epitaph, so I thought I'd read it Dear harp of my country, in darkness I found thee, the cold chains of silence had hung o'er thee long. When proudly my own island harp, I am bound thee and gave all thy chords to light, freedom, and song. Oh, bam! Look at that, sweet Genevieve. British folk song lyrics provided by George Cooper, an American poet best known for translating like foreign language songs into singable English. And somehow he also wrote this <laughs> random uh, Nola, a song by Felix Arndt, an American composer who died in New York city in 1918 of the Spanish flu.
0: Oh, we know what that's like, like
1: apropos to now. <laughs>
0: yes.
1: uh, and then finally don't fence me in by Cole Porter and Robert Fletcher. It was made famous by Roy Rogers. In two separate movies, the first was called Hollywood Canteen, and the second one came a year later, and it was called Don't Fence Me In. Uh So, Roy Rogers is the one that put this one on the map.
0: Another American icon.
1: John, what did you think was the best Muppeteering in this kind of mixed bag of an episode?
0: I think maybe we'll have the same one, maybe not, but uh, mine was the wild creatures in the woods singing along. Um, and it was just intricate and it was was subtle. And the the, all these little woodland creatures are kind of hiding from the the hunters. And it was just a very involved set and a lot of puppets up on stage at one time. True,
1: a lot of movement, a lot of coordination.
0: And it it was they almost had a little sadness to them and and they were scared as they'd go away from the hunters. And then these goofy country hunters come in, (laughs) shoot the (laughs) thing. I got myself a tractor. What'd you shoot? (laughs) Oh, I (laughs) shot a tractor. (laughs) I got me a big old cement truck. Um, so that was cute. And I just, just thought it was really well done and intricate. So they spent a lot of time on that. You could tell.
1: I've got to give it to Rolf's second performance, Nola, where mm. it got really complex, but only because it got jazzy at one point. Oh. And like kind of played off. And the 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 puppeteering was so good in that moment that I didn't think about it.
0: And you, like you always like think he's playing per- the real song. Like you always think right. he
1: is. For even even the he played someone else riffing. And that was kind of crazy. That is crazy. To me. Um, and just really impressed me. And then the third hand coming in just kind of sold it and
0: finished it for me. And who's usually Ralph's hands? Do you know? Um, let's see. Jim
1: was uh, mouth and left and then right.
0: I don't know. It could have been a different person doing left and right for those pianos. Maybe that's crazy. I would have to look it up. That's interesting, though.
1: Huh. Well, there we go. Jim did the voice, the singing, and the character, right? Um, but no, just just phenomenal,
0: indeed. Ralph was good this episode.
1: Tell us about this week's episode of Star Trek that we watched.
0: So from the title alone, I had forgotten what this episode was like, but it's called The Gamesters of Triskelion. And I apologize if I'm saying that wrong. Triskelion. Triskelion.
1: They really pushed up the three things. There's like triangles Uh, all over the place. There's three of the things
0: later. Yeah, apparently it's an old Gaelic symbol, and that's the symbol that you see in the gladiator scenes we'll talk about later. That's the call to Triskelion, apparently. Um, Okay, cool. Yeah, it's interesting. So uh, we have Kirk, Ahura, and Chekhov who are about to de- beam down to an unmanned station for a routine inspection. But they suddenly blink out of existence before they can transport. So Spock and Scotty can't track them anywhere are completely befuddled by what's going on. But as it turns out, Kirk, Ahura, and Chekhov are transported to a mysterious planet in the middle of some sort of gladiatorial ring. So after a short fight with this random gladiator that comes running at them, This humanoid named Galt um, comes kind of gliding towards them and introduces himself as the master thrall of Triskelion. And he says they are all now thralls of the providers and will be trained as fighters to participate in these gladiatorial games. And they're all uh, made to wear these collars of obedience, which zaps the hell out of them if they don't follow orders, which is, you know. That, that old chestnut. Uh, they're each assigned a trainer slash caretaker of sorts who takes care of them when they're in their jail, but also will train them to become gladiators. And, of course, Kirk is assigned the very busty, green-haired lady. Um, of course he is. Yes, who's wearing practically no clothes. And they are all auctioned off at some point by the providers. These, probably these three voices they hear. There's provider one, two, and three. And they all are bidding on them with uh, quatlus, which I guess is some form of currency for them. 400
1: quatlus. He cannot be trained.
0: 1000 quadrus. <laughs> um, so eventually they well, the uh, provider 1 gets the the highest bid so he gets to own all of them I guess as property and as gladiators. And then they start betting on whether yeah, like you said whether the fact they can be trained or not. They start having wagers on that as well. So it's all very confusing at the time. So Kirk goes out on a training run with his beautiful trainer they's assigned Shayna or Shauna. and while they take a rest, uh he drills her for questions about these mysterious providers. And he also uh, tries to tell her that they don't have to live this way as a slave. There's other planets out there. There's other places that aren't like this. She's all very confused, by he tells her about love. Oh, of course. Yeah,
1: truly, she's like protected. And she like very nonchalantly mentions that her mother died in, in one of the
0: contests. Exactly. That's oh, my, my birth mother? Oh, yeah, she died in one of the battles. You will uh, learn about that soon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. So when she's just about to tell him where he can find the providers, all of a sudden, her collar zaps the hell out of her. And she starts writhing on the ground in pain. So Kirk yells out for the providers to stop punishing her and punish him instead. It's his fault. It and was me. It was me. And so when she finally stopped being zapped, she heard all the things he said. She's confused that he would protect her. And, and so they go in and they kiss each other. And he protects her again by kissing her again.
1: He protects her all night long. Oh, yeah.
0: And so now that Kirk has gained Shayna's trust, uh, she comes to his cell to bring him more food later on. And he kisses her again and then suddenly punches her right across the face. And, right in the
1: jaw. And knocks her out.
0: Right in the jaw. I had forgotten that happened. I remembered it as soon as it did happen. But then I, I was just laughing in shock because it's so just like, whoa, out of nowhere. Uh, but he knocks her out, takes their key, her key and frees Ahura and off as well. But once they get outside, they're quickly stopped by Galt, uh, who puts them back to where they were and, says, and activates their collars. So, meanwhile, back on the Enterprise, which we've been cutting back to throughout this business, they caught a faint trace of an ion trail leading away from their ship, and they can't find Kirk or the others anywhere near them in the, the nearby uh, solar system. So they decide to follow this ion trail, and Spock believes it'll lead them to Kirk and the others. But Scotty and Bones are very skeptical of this and are fighting him the whole way. But they finally reach the planet where they see life forms on the planet. They think it might be Kirk and company. Um, but before they can beam down to investigate, Provider One shuts down the entire ship and starts talking to them through the ship's speakers. And for some reason, it's a two way communication, so Kirk on the planet can also talk to the Enterprise and he can hear the Enterprise too. And he fills them in on the whole thing that everything has happened while he's on the planet. So while he's there, Kirk challenges the providers to reveal themselves that they're so powerful and that he can't do anything to hurt them. Why don't they reveal themselves? So they transport him to where they are in this cave where there are just three brains in this container attached to a giant computer system. And he tells them, hey, I know you guys like to bet on stuff. So how about we make a wager? Um, we have a cr- three of my crew and three of yours go against each other. And if we win, you let the Enterprise go and you free the rest of your thralls. And instead, you teach them how to build their own civilization here on Triskelion. And if the three of them lose, then the providers can keep the Enterprise crew as thralls for generations to come. So they agree to the wager, but only if Kirk himself takes on three gladiators by himself. Uh, so he's like, oh, I guess I gotta. So he does, and he kills two of them, but he only injures the third one. And apparently, according to the rules, this means that they can substitute a new thrall in for the injured one, and that's oh no, it's Shauna. And she feels betrayed because he freaking knocked her out and cold-clocked her. So right. she starts to fight him. But eventually, he subdues her, and she surrenders, which I didn't know you could do. I thought you had to fight to the death. Yeah, and- they make it pretty clear you got to fight to the death. <laughs> but apparently, surrendering is okay, too. Yeah, it's all right. <laughs> so she surrenders, which means that Kirk won. And that means that they get to free the Enterprise crew and that they're instead going to free the Thralls and train them to build their own civilization there on Triskelion. And we end with Shauna really wanting to go with Kirk to be among the stars, but he tells her she has to stay there and work with the other Thralls to build the civilization. And we part away with her just crying. I thought it was a very nice performance by Shauna at the end there. So that's a, that's the episode. Steve, what did you think of this business?
1: The things I liked – uh, I think one of my favorite new tropes that's been coming up—it comes up over and over again—I just kind of realized I don't hate it. Is this like there's a scientific station that we have to check in on once a year? Yeah. And there's been four or five episodes, and for whatever reason, they don't bother me. <laughs> so I'm down. I dig it. I like this renewed premise. It feels like a renewed like D and D premise.
0: It's mundane enough that it makes sense that they would have to do that. I guess. Right. right. <laughs>
1: um. So while rid- the while ridiculous, the premise at least followed and was consistent, which I really appreciated. Mm. As far as the games and the control and the thralls and all that, there were some really decent fight scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, the the Kurt kissing that woman and then punching her—I don't know if I've been taken off guard <laughs> by a television show in that way in a long time.
0: Oh yeah, me too. Like, like I'm
1: gonna I'm gonna say Game of Thrones red wedding. And then Kirk punching <laughs> this lady. <laughs> Maybe not even in that order. Maybe because not. Because I was watching it and I was like, oh, we're going to get another lovey Devy scene. And so I start looking down. And I think I was like looking up the actress on IMDb. Mm-hmm. And I hear the sound effect and I look up and she's down. And I go, whoa, 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 wait, 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 wait. And I had to stop and rewind <laughs> to figure out what happened. And I was like, did he punch her? Does that make sense? <laughs> but I had missed it and it was so abrupt. My brain couldn't put the pieces together.
0: I started cracking up and I'm on headphones and on my laptop. And then my girlfriend's next to me playing a video game. I was like, sorry, you got to pause and you got to watch this. <laughs> so I, I rewind it oh. and I play it to her and she's like, what the hell? And I'm like, I don't know. I can't explain this. Uh,
1: I like that Kirk seducing someone finally had a purpose. Yeah, <laughs> for once, like it was, it was something he was trying to do. Um, for this being episode featuring uh, highly advanced alien beings laughing at our futility, which is typically the ones I hate, yeah. I didn't hate this episode, and hmm. I, I'm going to work to figure out why, because I hate all the other episodes like this.
0: And <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot but of for them. whatever
1: reason. This one just didn't bother me, and I'm not sure why.
0: I guess because it wasn't just, oh, we're testing your race. uh, We're some nebulous cause or we're just annoying. It was more they're kind of set in their ways. They're doing something a little different. This is what they like to do. They're not out to test humanity or something. There's right, like, right. We like there's
1: no repercussions for the rest of the
0: universe. Yeah, we just like sitting here watching fights. Yeah, you know, so that's pretty much. Uh, what's and about. I like
1: that they they clearly had limited power and it wasn't insane. You know, they couldn't just make these people do what they want. They had to put shock collars on them. Yeah, that's true. Like so, something about that. I don't know. I'm not sure why, but this just did not bother me nearly as much as some of the other ones. <laughs> well, that's like good. The Trelane episode where he's just all powerful for some reason.
0: But he's such a good actor. I love that guy.
1: And he's a Q, so I get
0: it. Yeah, I get basically it. a Q. Yeah.
1: Um, and then Spock. Spock on the ship alone this week was great. Oh yeah, because when Bones gives him crap, and then Scotty gives him crap, pulls him over, and he's like, uh, "I am in contra- c- control of the ship, unless, of course, you intend to mutiny."
0: Oh, he, he leans the man. He's like, "Come here. I'll tell you something. Unless you plan on mutiny, <laughs> mutiny Spock." <laughs> God damn it! We're not doing that. <laughs> um,
1: that just I, just Spock pushing back like that. You don't get to see that.
0: It was a good moment. Often. It
1: was a good moment. Um and and the, so they down to things maybe I, I had a little bit harder of a time with. Mm-hmm. Uh Chekhov could have just not been in this episode.
0: <laughs> That's true.
1: And nothing would have been different.
0: Well, that terrible a terrible scene thing with, would be different. With him like recoiling at that, you know, slightly less unattractive woman it's like what was wrong with that woman <laughs> he was like recoiling yeah,
1: but it was weird it just could have been anybody it should have been bones i wish bones had been down there it would have made everything better
0: well originally that was going to be sulu in that part and they had and a change they switch
1: in Chekhov a lot
0: this yep season. exactly because he was off doing the green berets so there you go um
1: and i guess another thing I, I struggle with a lot is like how many times does spock have to be right yeah before mccoy and Scotty, like, don't look at him like he's got a fork sticking out of his head all the time. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, how many times does he have to be outlandishly correct for them to trust him?
0: Probably not until the movies. <laughs> I guess.
1: Um, but it's just funny. Like, it, truly, 50 to 60% of all these episodes are, like, almost single-handedly solved by Spock.
0: Yep. He's in like, some way, he's shape He's the or Mary one. Sue, basically. <laughs>
1: um, the... So two things I want to talk about. So I, I think it was funny they took all the time to describe the rules of the final fight, and then none of them really mattered.
0: Yeah, they were stepping outside the line.
1: Color. <laughs> if you go into another color, they must forfeit a weapon. But like almost none of that actually happened.
0: <laughs> That's true.
1: So That was weird. Uh, I the Andorian came out of nowhere. That was cool. Yeah. Suddenly there was an Andorian there fighting him. Um. So the this is weird. Um. Was the implication that Ahura was being and or about to be raped
0: i'm pretty sure episode, it was she was about to be raped and then they show that they she's just
1: they raped. cut it in a non-definitive way
0: well she comes back and she's fully clothed and still has a weapon in her hand like that pot or whatever so i feel right, like she but it fenced- feels like we
1: we missed a shot
0: i feel like she fended him off though that's the but idea it
1: feels like we missed a shot of her grabbing the pitcher and hitting him with it or something
0: that would have been and helpful cut it
1: but it was just one of the things where I was like, they really left that far more open ended than they should have.
0: And plus, going to commercial didn't help at that exact moment. No,
1: going to commercial at that moment was terrible. <laughs> um, it was just weird. We don't get a lot of real sexual anything, and so to get like a rape, just is not say out of the place for Star Trek, but I don't think we've seen that before,
0: especially in the '60s like that. Yeah, and it was that was crazy, and it was only done in the shadow play and then sound, but it was Unless, still. And, and I just
1: don't want to say the transition. The transition just doesn't feel like it was done tastefully.
0: It was odd. I it was weird. Yeah. It was weird. That's true. Worth yeah, mentioning. You want to show her, her
1: as a strong woman? Great. Show her hitting him in the head with that thing.
0: Absolutely. Because <laughs> <laughs> she is strong. Um,
1: you got some Trek factoids for us?
0: Sure, sure. So, um, the look of the character Galt, if. You didn't already notice it was modeled after Ming the Merciless, the arch enemy from. <laughs> I
1: had to find the movie. I was like, why do I know this guy? <laughs> so I started looking up and I was like, it was in the movie with that Birdman King. And so I had to start looking at Birdman <laughs> King and then finally found Flash Gordon through that.
0: Yep. Flash Gordon, <laughs> Um, a kind of, I think Christopher Plummer played him in one of the movies. He uh, did. Yeah. He's got
1: really, really racist, like Asian. Oh yeah. A Fu, you know, Manchu. A Fu Manchu. And a Fumanchu.
0: Oh, yeah. Uh, halfway through filming this episode, the, the cast and crew learned that the show had been canceled. So halfway through, they were really depressed. and They had to get their morale back to finish filming. But a subsequent petition, as we know now from history, saved the show for a third season. So they actually got back. But this episode is when that happens. That's kind of depressing. Um, when Joseph Ruskin, the guy who played Galt, the Ming the merciless mm-hmm. guy, saw that his costume consisted of a long black floor length robe. He came up with the idea of walking in an extremely fluid way, um, just known as glide-stepping, like marching bands. Mm-hmm. Um, and he thought this would be combined with the robe make it look like a creepy kind of biped humanoid weird and movement. Worked. And it worked. He looked really creepy. I liked it. Um, I thought he played that very well. Um, so, this is the sad part of this episode. Um, the actress who played Shauna, uh, uh-huh. her name is Angelique Pettyjohn. And mm-hmm. the early 1980s, after her career faltered, actress Angelique Petty who played Shauna, started making softcore and then hardcore porn films. Uh, she, wow. s- she stopped that when she realized she could make more money appearing at sci-fi conventions. After the popularity of the Star Trek franchise grew due to the release of the films,
1: <laughs> Star Trek got her out of porn. It
0: did. Um, as part of her appearances, she posed for and sold two versions of a poster of her as Shauna in character, one in her costume and one where she's totally nude.
1: <laughs> that big hair, though.
0: So I know you're all looking that up right now, but the green wig and the yeah, all that stuff.
1: That's right. Angelique Petty John.
0: Yes. Weird last name. And during an interview, Angelique Pettyjohn said that when she first auditioned for the role of Shauna, she admitted to the producer that she didn't think she fit the character. And when they asked why, she said the script describes her character as an Amazon. But at five foot six, Pettyjohn said she's hardly an Amazon. But the producers all laughed and said, "Look, honey, next to Shatner, you look like an Amazon." It's true. <laughs> Apparently, he's Plus not five a very six
1: tall. for that time was actually pretty tall for a while. Absolutely.
0: And it's it's funny. There's a show called The Trek Files, uh, which I listened to fairly frequently, and it's hosted by Larry Nemachek who's like a Star Trek historian. He's worked on future shows and stuff, and he had a whole episode with Angelique Pettyjohn's best lifelong friend because she actually passed away in, I think, 92, hmm. um, but he wrote a book about her life because she was like a, a dancer in, La- in Las Vegas. Then she went into you know shows and movies and TV shows. Then her career went bad. She fell into drugs and alcohol and then um, eventually passed away in 92 after doing – porn and all sorts of random things in her life. So she's still an interesting life. I thought her performance was actually really good. Um, but yeah.
1: Yeah. And she carried more of the emotional story than anyone else. Certainly. Absolutely.
0: But a unique, unique story there with Shauna. <laughs> so what are our Trek connection, Muppet connections this
1: week? Oh, boy. Howdy. Uh, in Star Trek Enterprise, Commander Tucker suggests the first movie night aboard the sh- the ship should feature a Bob Hope and Bing Crosby movie. Oh, <laughs> From 1963 to 1967, Bob Hope hosted the Bob Hope Presents the Chrysler Theater, one episode of which was called Wind Fever, and it featured William Shatner. Uh Uh-huh. The movie Variety Girl, 1947, starred DeForest Kelly, and as it was made by Paramount, they had a bunch of contracts and cameos brought in, and one of them was Bob Hope. Bob Hope's done everything. That's right. Uh, and then Mickey Morton, who played Klug, the big, like, Neanderthal guy. Oh, yeah. Uh, he played the mother Wookiee, Mala, in the now infamous Star Wars Holiday Special. That's right. And both Star Wars and Muppets used to be independent things that are both now owned by Disney.
0: <laughs> That's true.
1: Bam. Trek connections. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Those are pretty good ones. So, and he's actually uh, seven foot four, I think that guy had said Holy it was. Talena. He's huge. Um, so similarities. He's married to Chewbacca. That's right. <laughs> similarities. What did you find that was so similar between these exact same episodes, Steve? Uh,
1: the Planet features creatures from all different worlds and places, and The Muppet Show featured puppets from all different benefits.
0: That is true. Um, Animal doesn't understand the terms that Kermit is saying in the opening, just like Shauna does not understand the terms that Kirk is saying in the episode. I like that.
1: (laughs) Both feature physical altercations, Kirk fighting in the arena and animal alligator wrestling. Oh,
0: yeah, that's true. Uh, The Flying Zucchini Brothers basically kidnap Bob Hope, uh, just like the gamesters of Tric Skellion, Triskelion kidnap Kirk, Ahura and Chekhov.
1: Ooh, both feature someone further away than expected bob hope constantly traveling all over to do benefits and kirk and crew being on a planet far far away from where they disappeared
0: <laughs> perfect <laughs> <laughs> oh god what's that sound transporter now transporter now function all right the part of the episode where we transport one character from one episode to the other and vice versa so what you've got for us steve
1: this week tricks to muppets i've got kluge Coming over and replacing animal wrestling alligators, it just seems really
0: natural. I put the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> I put. I can imagine him throwing bowling balls and being angry, but he actually didn't say anything in the Star Trek episode. <laughs> no, he didn't even make noises. He could at least growl or something. <laughs> um, I have uh, Bob Hope transporting over to play Gort, the Ming the Merciless Ooh, guy. I can see that because he was so stiff in the Muppet episode that he just played Gort just fine. <laughs> That's right.
1: Uh, I've got replaced the gamesters with the three gun-toting hillbillies <laughs> from, for what it's worth, all betting on the different combatants. How many Quatloos you got there? Not Kwatloos. <laughs> I got myself a tractor. Oh, a tractor. I mean, lose is that, that tractor cost. That's 4,000 quatloos. Oh, that's a lot of Kwatloos. <laughs> Uh,
0: yeah
1: and there were three of them so it was perfect
0: (laughs) that does work out really well so i guess that brings us to the end of episode 45 of the muppet trek podcast
1: that's right join us next time for the muppet show with special guest star jp morgan
0: and original series episode a piece of the action see
1: (laughs) so from the lovers (laughs) the dreamers
0: and us live long and prosper everyone thanks for listening to the muppet trek podcast Be sure to follow us on social media, on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. This podcast has been brought to you by A Play On Nerds.